Welcome to the Autoethnographers podcast. The Autoethnographer is a nonprofit, internationally authored, open source, award winning literary and arts magazine. Our focus is on autoethnography. Autoethnography is the intersection of ethnography and autobiography. It's a qualitative research method where the researcher utilizes lived experience to examine the cultural issues that interest them. Today, we're talking with the award-winning author, researcher, performer, Shanita Mitchell. Shanita is uh, one of our founding editorial board members of the Autoethnographer. Shanita, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation, Marlon. I'm so happy to be here. You're so welcome. So I'm Marlon Harrison. I'm the founding editor of the Autoethnographer. Uh, and today we're gonna talk with Shanita about how do autoethnography and multimodal performance go together. Um, I know Shanita as a literary researcher um, who utilized autoethnography in her master's thesis uh, in English. And when she came to the autoethnographer, I was very curious um, as to what she might write for the magazine. However, she pivoted and went full multimodal on us. So today I have a few questions about uh, your process and about your performance background and, and, and how all of this has led you to autoethnography. So let's get started, right? So again, I knew you as a researcher who was writing research about literature. And um, when we worked together, we, we utilized autoethnography as a method within the literary arts and you really embraced that. How did you move from working within textual analysis and literary analysis to a more multimodal visual medium uh, that explores similar issues as to what you had explored as a, as a researcher. So due to my performance background, so I am a dancer, uh, it was very a natural um, progression for me because I create visual images um, on the stage and I create visual pictures with my body. So it seemed very natural to me to um, want to make sure that I also was creating visuals in, 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 in my way of storytelling, right? Storytelling is very important um, on the stage being evocative, creating emotions. And autoethnography, when I heard it, um, heard about autoethnography, you introduced me to autoethnography. I thought that being creating a visual multimodal piece, it, it went hand in hand, right? So I, I it just made the most sense, very natural. So it was building from what you started on in terms of your writing. These were the next steps to perform that story, to perform that conflict or that tension that you were feeling as a writer? Absolutely. Um, and I, I do love writing. Um, so it is also one of my favorite things to do. But there is something about um, being able to witness the visual tension and what it means to be enacted on the body um, that I, I couldn't resist um, in terms of like creating autoethnography. I needed both the tension because in my memo, I get the opportunity to to write um, and to, to write just, just a bit. Um, mm -hmm. But again, like in my visual projects, um, the opportunity to really act out um, the the tensions and the the emotions that I I want to convey. Um, so I, I I love that the autoethnographer and autoethnography give me both um, both kind of 
avenues, right? So I, I'm not completely divorced from writing because again, I get the opportunity to expound and talk about, but I do also like that the pieces can be um, independent of the memo, right? So like audiences can still come to the visual pieces and, and walk away with the meaning. So like, that's also really important when I'm creating the pieces is that even without the memo, they can still um, be an independent piece and audiences can still receive what I need for, for them to receive. So let's talk about this, this video and this is master's thesis, everything goes together, they're all connected. And the, the overarching title of your work is a seat at the table. Um, which explores your experience as a black female academic. Shanita, would you tell us a little bit about how you came to autoethnography? I mean, obviously it, it was presented as one of many possibilities that you could embrace for your scholarship. But initially, as someone who is a graduate literary scholar, as someone who is visual, as someone who is used to creating images on a stage, what do you think initially drew you to autoethnography as a researcher performer? Um, so it, it was just the the opportunity to tell um, storytelling once again. Um, so I I was drawn to autoethnography over literary analysis because again I I needed to see myself reflected back. I needed to see my experience reflected back, and I knew that my experience was representative of a larger cultural experience that also needed to be reflected back um, to others in order to inspire others. Um, so again. I think there's something very powerful about being able to see another person who looks like you. It's all mm -hmm. well and good to like read Shanita Mitchell on the page, but mm -hmm. I think that again, there is so much power um, in anyone who is approaching autoethnography and the pieces to be able to see themselves reflected back. Um, because again, visuals are very, very powerful. Um, and that's why representation is important. Um, so that is what drew me to autoethnography, being able to, to show myself um, Shanita Mitchell right on the page, but then also additionally to progress that and then show myself Shanita Mitchell as a person, an individual, a black woman, a, a black feminist. What does that mean? Mm. So far in this podcast series, right, we, we've talked with Nadine Kahir about how autoethnography and marketing go together. We've talked with Suzanne Hughes about how autoethnography and painting go together. So I'm curious, because you're multimodal, we, I mean, I, I want to make it clear what Shanita does is she begins with a story. And I think that that story resonates with a piece of music for you. And I think you you must know there's, there's a, a message there that you want to connect with. And I think from there, that moves into choreography, right? Yes, it choreography, does. Choreography as well as blocking, where you're going to do this, what the lighting might be, what the background, what, how is this all part of the story? And then you actually video record yourself dancing, performing with that music that you've selected, but it doesn't end there. You go one step further. And then as a director and editor, you actually shape the entire video recording uh, through uh, lighting effects and mirroring effects and overlay e effects so that you take it one step further. You have the raw art form, but like a piece of clay, you sculpt it one step further. What is it about um, this theme of a seat at the table 
that to you felt like this will work for visual storytelling? So great question. Um, and thank you, Marlon, for helping me to like outline my process. Sometimes I, I forget. Um, the process is so intuitive to me. Yeah, um, absolutely. That, that just, I forget that those are all the steps that I'm actually doing. You're right. Doing uh, so many point. steps. There's so many phases of art. Uh, you know, and I'm finding that that many artists are they're multi-processed. There's so many pieces and stages that begin to overlap to create what we, the audience, see as a final performance or a final product. But yeah, I'm so curious about how that a seat at the table kind of for you felt like this is a visual performance that I need to create. Um, so it it's very, um, it, it, it stemmed from a very like internal place that needed to be filled. Um, so there's always a lot of controversy in terms of like the concept of a seat at the table um, and like whether another table needs to be created. Like, is there even um, a need to come to a particular table, right? Like why not make our own table mm -hmm. um, and all of these things. And of course, like mm -hmm. from individual to individual, like perspectives will change, the answer will change. Um, but I, um, the role that I occupy, like in higher education, um, and I, I work at a predominantly white institution, um, I, I have to make a seat at, at this table. So again, um, it's just enacting out my real life. So all of the visual um, images that I create, all the visuals and the editing is just me enacting out my real life, which I think is very, very powerful part of autoethnography, um, is that I actually have to do very little work in terms of thinking about what um, the themes will be, right? Because they're so readily accessible. So then when I come to find a seat at the table, I, I literally find myself having to find a seat at the table, at a conference table often, mm. um, and like pulling up a chair and making myself be known. So again, this is just visual. It, um, the visual aspect came in because it's just an enactment of my life. Um, this is just what I see mm. out of my own two eyes. And why is it important that you connect with your audience in that manner? So um, great question. So I like that autoethnography and particularly visual autoethnography um, reaches a wide audience. So I come from um, a rural background. So my grandmother has only a fourth grade education. So then if I, in, in written form, um, it's a little bit more difficult for me to, to be able to to reach her in that manner. Um, and then also, I, and, and many of my family members come from a similar background. So then if I'm creating visual autoethnography, I can say, grandma, like here, look at this video. And can you see me? And can you see what I'm trying to do? And she doesn't have to do any additional work, right? So I, I liked in a way that that opened a door to a very wide, large audience mm -hmm. for them to be able to participate um, in, the, in the process as an audience member mm -hmm. without them having to know about theory or engage and having this long background. Yes. So visual and multimodal autoethnography, you feel creates an accessibility to the story and to the message. Absolutely, yes, mm -hmm. and that was very key for me. Excellent, so what is the first step for people who are interested 
in pursuing the Shanita Mitchell process of multimodal, and I'm going to call it that, of multimodal autoethnography, what, what is the first step? The first step, um, and you kind of already outlined this in the process, is that some is to find the inspiration, right? So for me, because I am a dancer, um, it's going to be something musical. So I will have just not necessarily go out seeking music, right? It's just something I listen to music constantly. It's constantly on my mind. It's constantly in my spirit. It's constantly in my brain. Um, and then something will like pop out. It'll be a mm -hmm. pop out moment of inspiration. That's a very artistic answer um, mm -hmm. because you're just like, well, how do I make that tangible um, in terms of like finding something that pops out? But like, that is the, that is my first step is just that mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, I, I hear this from the music and then how can I explore that any further? So finding a musical, some sort of musical inspiration, and then taking a moment to like think a little bit more and be like, okay, is this, can I conceptualize this further? So then I make that decision. Having studied literature for so long and, and being a, a, a graduate level literary scholar with uh, academic articles submitted to, to peer-reviewed journals now, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to the role of narrative in your work. Um, and for folks listening at home, what, what do I mean by narrative? Narrative are those storytelling elements where we have a character facing a conflict and the narrative is the story of how that conflict is, is resolved. And so I wonder about the role of narrative in your work. So it, it's very important. Um because again, I'm such a storyteller. I'm also a cosplayer, right? So like I am frequently am embodying um, different characters and taking on the mentality and the aesthetic of a particular character. So again, um, being able to jump into a particular mindset where I'm just like, what am I trying to convey? And how can I get that to my audience in a way that is powerful, artistic, evocative, and meaningful um, is very important. I think narrative um, is something that audiences can easily connect with, right? Because again, like we're so used to being told a story, right? Mm -hmm. Like from beginning to end. So it, again, once again, comes very naturally um, to me as a cosplayer, as a dancer, um, and also um, as a literary scholar, because again, we've all been reading stories mm -hmm. um, that, you know, for the majority of our careers. Yeah, and I, I like that you said, first, you need to find something that that's important that, that we need to say. And in many of my discussions with people, as we have dis we we have evolved this magazine together, um, people have made comments to me like, "Oh, anything can be autoethnographic," and and my response is typically, "Well, if we're using that lens, then we can certainly find that autoethnography is around us." But I'd like to think that autoethnography is a bit more purposeful. We are purposefully looking for intersections of cultural experiences and personal lived experience, right? So it's yes. not necessarily just a random, oh, that's autoethnographic, but rather we're looking for that intersection. Um, so for folks that are looking for that intersection, might you recommend any, any tools or uh, maybe resources that are important to the process for someone who also is identifying an issue that they would then like to pursue multimodally? 
So great question. Um, so tools and research, um, I should first of all, definitely shout out one a member of our other editorial board, um, Renata Fernandez. No, so like, yep. Yes, um, because I before I got to visual multimodal, like I had to understand um, the, the bones of autoethnography, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to do the research there. So I'm never gonna mm -hmm. say don't do the research there. I don't know if I would recommend to ho just hop into the visual aspect like right away, because again, it is so layered, then you kind of need to understand. So I would say definitely do the research. Um, we have wonderful scholars, there's wonderful scholarship. Um, Marlon, you are an excellent source. Like, and then we also have Tony Adams. We have, um, again, another editorial board member, Sandra Faulkner. Like, again, we have so many different resources and individuals who are talking and speaking to autoethnography. Um, and then in terms of like visual, um, like pictures and storytelling, um, I think like it, this is going to sound very funny, but like there's so much out on on like social media and TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. Everyone like is a living talking. autoethnography experiment, isn't it? Exactly. Right. So, and that's the way I feel about it. So like I'm watching other people and I'm learning from them, right. As all of us are kind of evolving into mm -hmm. social media and creating visual art. Um, so I am also just pulling from the world at mm -hmm. large. I, I love that you emphasize get to know autoethnography, right. I always emphasize to people who want to uh, explore the method um, that they should have a number of mentor texts or a number of, a number of mentor projects or poems or, or whatever it is that they can go to as inspiration, a, a, as an example. So even though we're talking about multimodal and visual autoethnography, we still must begin with a solid foundation of what is autoethnography, what is its purpose, what is its history, what are its criticisms. And, you know, I always come back to that wonderful 2011 article uh, written by Tony Adams uh, and Carolyn Ellis and Art Bachner from the Qualitative Forum. Um, right, autoethnography and overview, and I still share that. It's such a great primer. Um, Shanita, I, it sounds like, and I know I would love to take a workshop with you where you would, where you could lead me through these steps. And it sounds like it would just really be an awesome opportunity to be able to kind of understand that process. I, I do understand that it's a lot more than simply identifying a problem, dancing and recording it. There's a lot of emotional aspects to it. There's a lot of critical thinking. There's a lot of rhetorical awareness in terms of audience. Who's my audience? What are they expecting, right? So I, gosh, I would love, and hopefully maybe next year when we kick off our workshops, you'll, you'll uh, help guide us through this process. Absolutely. I would love that. And the one other thing that I will just note really quickly is just that I do not use any fancy equipment. I always want to make sure and emphasize I'm recording things with my phone. I am using an editing tool that I got wow. from online. I am using a tripod. So like, I don't want people who are coming new to visual projects or multimedia to think that they have to have some, some really expensive things, right? Um, it takes some said that <laughs> yes yeah, like it's it's not it's not what people are thinking it just takes a lot of kind of grit right so you have to do yeah. things you have to have a vision but my phone right now my we're phone. like Amazing. you know like using my phone and i, just I had assume, i had assumed you had like years of using like iMovie and yeah. stuff like that i had no idea this was all through your phone that that heartens me that 
it's a learning process and learning processes are always mediated by how much passion you have for that project. So I think with enough passion, our listeners will be able to identify the tools they need. But again, do you think about a workshop? I think that would be killer. Yeah. I would love it. <laughs> Anita, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little bit of insight in, as to how autoethnography and, and multimodal visual performance go together. We look forward to your continued strong work at the magazine. Yes, thank you so much, Marlon. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.